hello everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so today my guest is actually David Trotta, my brother. Hi, hello. Dave. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for coming over and doing this with me. Absolutely. I'm excited. So I'm up in Connecticut celebrating a little holiday time with my family, and I uh, walked in, David, for a as a guest today on the pod. So today we are going to be talking about technology and how it affects sleep and attention and different things to do with children in the classroom and also adults with working. Um, so I will actually have David introduce himself a little bit and talk about kind of why he wanted to do this topic. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, how you landed in your current position, and why you were interested in talking about this topic. So I have been a seventh grade social studies teacher for six years now. And the reason why I'm interested in this topic is because when you're a first year teacher, and if there are any other teachers out there, you know what I'm talking about, you're always aware of how you're going to sound to the kids. And you want to make sure that you're engaging and you're exciting. And most of the time it works. And then you see some kids with their heads down, eyes bleary, with that dazed daydream look. And then you begin to question, am I a bad teacher? (laughs) And most of the time you end up saying no because you go to other classes and you see the same sort of thing. But it causes us to wonder why that is. Now, Daydreaming and being blurry-eyed and having your heads down is not new to 2019, but is there something today which is causing that more frequently? And I believe that there certainly is, and we're going to get into that um, today. Didn't you say, too, that you have some kids that like don't even come to school t- sometimes because they were up all night like playing video games and stuff? Oh, yeah. The absences and the tardiness is... Definitely at an all-time high, and I can't tell you how many times, I'll share a few stories today, kids have told me that they spent all night playing video games, or spent all night uh, on their phones, on Snapchat, and social media. Uh, It's common. It's not just one or two kids. It's several kids I've heard this from. Why don't you also talk a little bit about your school and the type of students that you work with? So I work with kids um, who are, I would say, poor uh, in a suburban area. Um, racially diverse, economically diverse as well. There is a lot of uh, issues in terms of poverty in my school. Um, but then there are other kids who are well off. So I think I, I feel like my school is diverse enough in many ways where I can get a good sample size of, of this sort of thing. And I don't think this is something that's just in poor schools, rich schools, black schools, white schools. I think this is common throughout all of those schools. There's a common factor which, which connects Um, lack of attention, and sleepiness and drowsiness among students. And obviously, too, there are other contributing factors to inattentiveness and kids not paying attention, like hunger and not having access to good foods. But you're saying that you can kind of, you're identifying students that might not have those issues and are still having this kind of inattentiveness, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You, You brought up hunger. I mean, that's something that typically you'd see among kids of poorer backgrounds. Uh, And it helps now that we have, in Connecticut, free and reduced lunches um, for all or most kids. But this transcends any any of those economic barriers, for sure. All right. So you mentioned that you have some students that are not really paying attention. They're looking a little bit bleary during class. So I think 
a lot of it too also goes back to that kind of addictiveness that we have with our devices and how social media kind of stimulates the same reward pathway in our brains as drugs and addictive drugs. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Social media is a huge issue amongst kids. And and look, I know that there are positives to social media. I know it connects people. It makes the world smaller, brings people of many cultures together. But I want to highlight the negatives here for a minute because um, the reality is, is that social media addiction is already recognized as an addiction in the same way that substance abuse is, in the same way that gambling addiction is. And we have to start recognizing it as as big of a problem as it is, especially among kids. It essentially mimics the same things you see in substance abuse Comes to, when it comes to mood modification, uh, when it comes to an unhealthy preoccupation with that object. Tolerance and even like withdrawal symptoms you will see in social media. And so neuroscientists have done studies on this, right? So social media outlets will use notifications to um, tell you when someone has reacted to your post. And the studies they've done is the feeling you get when you see that little red button mimics cocaine use. And it mimics when you're at a slot machine in the casino and you put a coin in and you win and the lights flash and uh, the sound goes off and you get excited. It's the same pathways that are being stimulated in your brain. Oxytocin? Yes, oxytocin, and uh, but dopamine as well. Um, all those pleasant hormones uh, that you get when you when something good happens. So do your do your kids have access to their phones in the classroom? No, um, they don't. They are allowed to have them in their pockets, but they're not allowed to take them out. And my school is very, very much uh, a strict school when it comes to that. So the first uh, offense, the teacher takes it. The second offense, it's sent to the office, and they can pick it up at the end of the day. The third offense, their parent has to come pick it up. And then after that, they're not allowed to have it at all. So um, my kids don't don't take it out very much. But I don't think that's normal. I think in a lot of schools, they are allowed to use phones. And it's an issue. Right. And also, too, don't kids now, like, only use Snapchat to communicate instead of using, like, texting or calling each other as well? Yeah, texting is not a thing. They communicate through Snapchat, but I think it's new now. I'm pretty sure now it's more like they communicate on posts and Instagram and they communicate through apps. Well, one of my um, colleagues, her daughter's in high school, and when they when their friends talk about like hanging out over the weekend, they're not actually hanging out like in person. They're just hanging out on Snapchat. Yeah, and it's an issue socially, of course. I think we yeah. can obviously see the ramifications of that. But then the other issues, too, um, this thing often leads to bullying. You know, back before smartphones, you would be bullied during the school day, but when you went home, you'd be safe. Now, you could be bullied 24-7. I was talking to my principal about this, actually, recently, and she had said that they they get more behavior issues after school from 3 p.m. to 6 a.m. than during the school hours most of their behavior management is cleaning up issues that had happened the night before. Well, too, kids don't want to, I don't know if they're scared or what, but they don't say the thing to their face. But if they, when they have their screen, then they feel like either they can have some anonymity or it's easier to do it not to the person's face. And so I think that that makes it worse as well for the kids. Definitely. Keyboard confidence. I think that another thing is kids aren't really equipped to deal 
with the addiction when it comes to social media. You know, we always talk about how alcohol abuse and substance abuse is more potent and it's more dangerous for kids because their brains aren't developed yet. It's the same thing with social media. It's because it's rewarding the same pathways, because it's giving you that dopamine rush that any drug is, kids are less equipped to deal with it than adults. And until we take that as seriously as any other substance abuse, I think it's not going to get better. And I think, too, in general, today, we have an issue with knowing how to cope with things in children and adults. So adults have problems with learning how to cope, and then they don't pass those skills onto their children. So any kind of little stressor seems like it's the end of the world and kids can't internalize it and handle it appropriately. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the circadian rhythm and the sleep-wake cycle and how that works in in its correct form to help us to wake up and go to sleep when the sun rises and sets? Um, and then maybe a little bit about how it is modified, I guess, with constant stimulation from social media and lighting and that kind of thing? Yeah, so we all have biological clocks, which essentially determine when we should be awake and when we should be asleep. Um, Our biological clocks influence what is called our circadian rhythm, which essentially means a, uh, it's essentially a 24-hour biological clock. It's actually 24 and a quarter hour biological clock, which cycles us through periods of uh, alertness and sleepiness. And this is also known as our sleep-wake cycle. For most people, um, the biggest drop in circadian rhythm happens right after lunch, so like 1 to 3 p.m., and at the latest at night, at like 2 to 4 a.m. This could change if you're a morning person or a night owl, but essentially that's the the standard. So if you're sleep-deprived, you will notice bigger swings in alertness and sleepiness because your body's circadian rhythm has been thrown off. That's why when you get less sleep, maybe the, not, not right after, but a day, two days after, you start to feel that. This is why it's important to go to bed at the same time every night because our body is establishing circadian rhythm. It's establishing a sleep-wake cycle that is consistent. And if we're always changing that, our body's don't know how to adjust and are always trying to adjust. And one thing too, so when the sun starts to set and it starts to become dark out, your pineal gland in your brain really releases melatonin. And so the job of melatonin is to kind of stimulate the sleep part of your sleep-wake cycle. So when your melatonin is at its highest, that's when you are ready to go to bed. And then in the morning, it kind of flip-flops and your melatonin level goes down and then your cortisol level goes up. So cortisol is stimulating. That's our kind of also release when we're stressed is our stress hormones to give you that kind of fight or flight. But that also wakes us up in the morning. So in the our natural circadian rhythm, we're supposed to be awake when it's light out and asleep when it's dark out. So we rise and sleep with the day. Um, but it's obviously a lot different now because we have electricity and different things that stimulate light even when it's dark outside. Yes, you brought up melatonin, and I think it's important to understand that outside factors are always influencing those sorts of things. So right. we're going to get into this in a little bit, but outside factors like artificial light are constantly mimicking daylight and telling us it's time to wake up, therefore suppressing that melatonin and making us feel awake, even at late hours of the night. One of the things we know about teenagers when it comes to sleep, the National Sleep Foundation actually did a study on this, 
they say that only about 15% of teenagers get the sleep they need. So you need anywhere between 8 and 10 hours of sleep if you're a teenager. Um, 15% of teenagers get 8.5 hours of sleep. So That's bad. that means 85% of kids are not getting the sleep they need. But what do you think contributes to that? Well, I think a lot of things contribute to that. I think our phones, all the distractions we have, being stimulated 24-7 absolutely is a big factor. But one of the solutions that I've always thought is a good idea that parents hate is delaying start times in schools. Right. So 93% of high schools start before 830 but the reality is, is that that's making sure that our kids aren't getting enough sleep. Well, too, I was reading something that the circadian rhythm of an adolescent is different than the circadian rhythm of an adult. So they naturally wake up later or their bodies are stimulated to wake up later in the morning than our bodies are as adults. So us making them go to school earlier in the morning, they're going to be more sleepy, but they're also not going to be at their peak levels of performance. And I... Another thing that I was reading from the National Sleep Foundation cited a study that looked at performance in schools that switched to a later start time. I don't know if you saw this, but it had said that those students had improved performance after switching to a later start time. Yes, absolutely. I did see that study that happened in Seattle. And basically, the the Seattle school system changed their bell from 7.50 to 8.45. So it was 55 minutes. And absences and tardies decreased. Students became more alert and focused. And final grades increased by 4.5%. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, so by changing the start time 55 minutes, you are putting kids in a position to succeed. And they increased it by 55 minutes at the end of the day, right? Or they shortened the day? No, they increased it by 55 minutes. You'd have to add on to the end End of the the day. day. Yeah. Is that why people don't, parents don't like it? That's why parents don't like it. The big thing that's cited is that extracurricular activities, sports already go late enough. Um, I understand that, but if we're talking about getting our kids to school, if we're talking about test scores and alertness increasing, then we have to do that. And we have to look at that research, which is pretty uh, solid at this point. So we mentioned blue light a little bit earlier where we alluded to it, I guess I should say. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what blue light is and how that impacts the sleep-wake cycle. So here's what we know about blue light. It's a color in the visible light spectrum with a short wavelength, basically meaning it produces higher amounts of energy. It is found mostly in the sun, but also in any digital screen you have. So uh, any smartphone, video game, TV, computer, tablet, etc. It's also found in LED and fluorescent lights. Blue light is everywhere. Um, It's actually what makes the sky blue or what makes it look blue. The blue light will collide with air molecules and then the result of that is what we see, a blue sky. It is a good thing. We should talk about that. It increases alertness, elevates mood, basically contributes to overall positive well-being. However, um, it's meant to be for the daytime and that's where we get into some issues. Right, that's what kind of what I said earlier, too, why we're supposed to be awake with the sun. Originally, blue light only came from the sun, but now we have all these external artificial sources of blue light. So what does blue light do to the eye? So what we're seeing now, um, there have been some studies done on this, it is quite damaging to the eye in a couple different ways. First of all, they have done studies on the cells in the cornea. And essentially what we're seeing is these cells decrease after exposure to blue light. Secondly, 
um, it's been found that blue light will increase and lead to dry eye. And then also, uh, blue light leads to an increased risk of cataracts. And if we're talking about uh, what's causing blindness, especially among the elderly, cataracts is the big issue. And the last thing it does is it leads to damage of the retina. So it's pretty much destroying every level of the eye. Uh, this is an issue, not just a teenage issue. This is an issue for all ages because we all have smartphones. We're all susceptible to this. Yeah, and going back to the cataracts thing, so your lens is what kind of filters light to protect the retina. So the retina is what allows you to basically be able to see, and damage to the retina can cause blindness. So the problem with the blue light is that it's causing damage to the lens, which then increases the risk for cataracts. And then that damage to the lens allows more of the blue light to get to the retina. So that's also bad. But... If one of the um, supplements that you can take over the counter is called lutein, it's available in the regular supplement section. It's actually, there's actually a product that's formulated for eye health with lutein in it. And lutein helps to actually protect the eye um, because it helps to absorb some of the short wavelength light that's produced by blue light. So I thought that was kind of cool. I that was, is cool. I knew that lutein was for eye health, but I didn't realize that it was actually like helping to absorb those those lights. So See, this is the positive of being a pharmacist, right? Is that you know every issue can be solved with medicine. Hopefully. Or lifestyle. Or lifestyle. Yes. Um, all right. So how does blue light impact sleep? It's funny. Harvard did an experiment on this recently, and they basically exposed people to six and a half hours of blue light, and then another group was exposed to six and a half hours of green light. Um, on comparable brightness. And what they found is that blue light suppresses melatonin significantly, to be specific, twice as much as green light. And teens are more susceptible to it than adults. Yes. In addition, that study also found that the blue light shifted circadian rhythms twice as much as green light. So this is, I mean, this is dramatic evidence here. And the reality is, is that in today's world, 43% of adults have jobs that put them in front of a screen for most of the day. 74% of teenagers have stated that they are using electronic device devices at the very least occasionally. What? But let's it's be gotta honest. It's got to be more than that. Let's be honest. If they were honest, they would say occasionally means probably three or four hours. So. But that would be 100%, you would think. 74%? All teens are looking at devices. Yeah, that's true. I guess occasionally is a broad word. Um, I would say that when they think occasionally, they teens will probably think like a couple hours a day, which is a lot. Right. The reality is, is that almost every school has has media now and has electronics, so all schools yeah, all are using schools. it. So these devices that uh, are being used by adults and teenagers are, especially at night, problematic because they essentially are emitting blue light Therefore, telling our brain it's morning. Right. And it's 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And the National Sleep Foundation also stated that 68% of teens have a device on all night long. And of those 68%, only 25% were seen to have an excellent sleep quality. So I think that's another kind of fact that proves the negative impact of the blue light on sleep. Just the other day, I was talking to a student who said that she was on FaceTime with her friend all night. And I said, you're being sarcastic, right? Not all night. And she said, no, I was FaceTiming my friend all night. Like even when she was night. sleeping? 
Or no, they didn't she didn't sleep at all. She pulled an all-nighter the day before school to FaceTime her friend. But I, how do people do that? I would just fall asleep. Well, it's that stimulation we've been talking about. The blue light is constantly telling you you're awake, suppressing melatonin. And kids are already have messed up True. sleep cycles. So it's an issue. I had another student who almost every day he would tell me he was up till 3 a.m. playing video games. And he wouldn't come to school Wednesdays. He said Wednesdays was his day off. To sleep or to play video games? Uh, to sleep, to catch up on all his sleep because he was playing video games all week. That's so he bad. would miss once a week because he was losing so much sleep playing video games. That's crazy and really bad. I, I would never be able to survive. I think I just need too much sleep. What, what do you mean? How much sleep do you need? Eight or nine hours at least. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the normal average. We talked about this for teenagers. They need eight to ten. Um, adults need seven to eight. I mean, so. if I don't get eight hours two nights later, I will be asleep on the couch at 8 p.m. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm not that susceptible to blue light. Well, are you using your devices before you go to bed or have you turned them off? I scroll my phone at night, but I have it on the night light mode. Okay. If that helps. Yeah, we'll talk about that. All right. So we talked a lot about the issues associated with blue light, but there are quite a few recommendations or different things that we can do to kind of help to limit this. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So one of the things that we need to talk about is blue light blocking glasses. Which, which you got me for Christmas. I just happened to get you for Christmas. Um, these are glasses which essentially block the blue light from coming to your eye, or at least some of it. And this could be helpful to wear at night um, because it will quite obviously block that and it won't, you know, keep you up. But I did want to mention that be careful with those. Um, those are not to be worn in the morning or afternoon because they've done studies on this. And if you wear those in the morning or afternoon, it's going to totally screw up your sleep cycle. And they've shown that people who do wear those glasses in the morning uh, go to sleep later and their sleep quality is not as good. Yeah, so I think it makes sense to put them on either around sundown or at least an hour before you want to go to bed, especially if you are going to be on your phone or your computer a lot before bed. And I saw another study, too, that looked at – it was a pretty small study. There was about 20 people. It went from teens to adults. But if they wore the blue light blocking glasses for – it was an average of three and a half hours before bed, then they actually had increased levels of melatonin in their saliva – and increased sleep by 24 minutes, which isn't a huge amount, but they're going to bed at the same time. They're just getting increased sleep quality and improvements in their own object or subjective quality of sleep. So I thought that was cool too. That is cool. And you had talked about earlier about the night mode on your phone. Yep. I think that's another option. Yep. Um, reduces blue light. I know for the iPhone, you can set a timer on it every night. Like for me, I have it set from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., it goes on to night mode, which basically lowers the amount of blue light that your phone is emitting, and that will help as well. I think the, the big thing is really just stop using devices an hour before bed. Right. But you can put blue light mode on your phone and also on your laptop. So if you're doing work or checking emails or something before bed, you'll notice that it turns a little bit more like yellow in hue on the screen, but it's not really that noticeable or bothersome. There's also apps that do that for you. Um, but I don't really think we need the external third-party app anymore just because all phones, or most phones, I would say, are equipped with the night mode without adding the app. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's just a good rule in general to keep your devices, especially your phones, out of your bedroom or at the very least away from the edge of your bed. I've always heard that, like, your bed, you're not even supposed to lay on your bed when you're not going to sleep. That is true. It needs to be kept as a spot where your body knows this is for sleep. Right. And if you're not tired, you shouldn't get in your bed. Which I do all the time, like, always just hanging out in my bed reading or watching TV. But but you don't have a problem with sleep. No. But everyone keeps their phone next to their bed just simply because it's their alarm, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. And some people use it for to measure their sleep patterns. They actually put it on their bed next to their head, which I think is a terrible idea. Right. Well, another thing, this is a very off topic, but one thing that I was reading is to decrease your exposure to EMFs. Um, it's actually recommended to put your phone on airplane mode at night when you're sleeping so that you're not it's not exposing you to all of those EMFs. Actually, too, that would help because then you won't get any notifications or anything at night while you're sleeping, but you can still use your alarm. Mm. Maybe I'll do that. Don't you find it scary that we have to turn the devices that are up against our ear for hours a day off because it could be bad for us when we're sleeping? Well, I don't think the phone part is the part that is actually dangerous. It's the part that is using us to get on the internet, like the data part. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But do we even have, I mean, we've had cell phones for a couple decades, Mm -hmm. smartphones for maybe 10 years. Yep. Do we even have the data yet to suggest that this could be harmful? Maybe. They say it's safe, but because basically they say that the wavelengths that are being emitted are too low, like too small, I guess, to impact us. But I don't know how they could know that on a cellular level. Hmm. I'm sure it's impacting our cells in some ways. And then another thing that I read was to, if the device is further away from your face, it stimulates your, or your, you receive less blue light, basically. So if you're using a tablet, hold it further away from your face, or if you're in bed, watch TV, um, and that will, might make you feel a little bit more sleepy because you're not um, having that so close to your eyes. I have some two other tips to combat this, um, which may seem kind of obvious. The first is when you wake up, Open your blinds. Expose yourself to um, natural light, to blue light. Yep. Because that's when it's good. If you wake up really early when the sun's not out, then that might be a good time to check your smartphone, to check your emails, because that will actually help you wake up. Right. And on the same thing as that, too, um, it's good to go for a walk at sunset, because at sunset, it's actually emitting red light, and then that helps to kind of get your body ready to go to sleep. Um, So if you have a problem with sleeping or if you have a problem with insomnia, doing that is a good idea. Although in the middle of the winter, it sunsets at like 4.30, so you'll probably still be at work when that happens yeah that's <laughs> for our tip? southern listeners yeah. um the other one is i can't believe i have to even say this but this is actually true what they recommend is to blink more often when you're on your smartphone because sometimes oh, when you're eye. watching those uh you're watching tv or on your tablet or on your smartphone you don't even remember to blink you're so invested in what you're looking at that they actually recommend people to blink more. But you don't even think about blinking. You don't. It just, ha- it just happens. But maybe you have to. I guess. Could you imagine telling the generation 20, 30 years ago that we're going to have to tell our kids to blink more? That's really sad. It's dangerous. And the other thing, too, that we talked about earlier is the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, 
recommends no screen time to children under the age of two. So we know that there are a lot of different issues associated with kids using screens. It um, delays their socialization. They don't learn how to kind of like pick up a pen and write and do all of those things because they're just pointing. Um, but also for brain development and my, the eye um, being exposed to blue light, don't use any devices under the age of two. Absolutely. And I also have some advice for our educators out there because I know that's how we started this. Firstly, be careful how you use technology in your classroom. I think it could be a very valuable tool, but it could also be used in a negative sense. So last year we had each of our students got their own Chromebook. They spent the entire day with their Chromebook, went from class to class with it. And in addition to most of them breaking, which is to be expected. You hate this Chromebook thing. I really do. Um, The other issue we were having was students started to think that it was there. So they would go to a class, they would open up their Chromebook with other teacher telling them, and they just go to YouTube or something, or just go to a website and mess around. It was totally, you know, taking all of their attention away from the class, from the teacher. And it caused a huge issue. You would go into classrooms and kids would look like zombies staring at their screens. So I think technology could be used really well in the classroom. I think there's a lot of good things we can do with it, but be careful not to oversaturate it. The other piece of advice I have for educators is to check the lighting in your room. Um, one suggestion I have is dynamic lighting. So a lot of us, you know, we don't have much of an option in terms of what our lighting is. It's just the artificial light above. But sometimes that's not a bad thing. In the morning when kids are tired, it's good to get that blue light from those artificial lights. I have some teachers I work with who have beautifully set up their room to have like warm lighting and it feels very relaxed and calm when you walk in there. But in the morning, that's that might not be the vibe you want. You might want to wake the kids up from lack of sleep. Right. So having more blue light in the mornings would be helpful. And also changing the light to whatever activity you're doing. Like maybe those calm lights will help when you're, you know, a language arts teacher is doing uh, private reading time. But if you want them to conduct a simulation and you want some energy and you want some alertness, having the lights on brighter and having more blue light would be helpful. Awesome. All right. So I have to ask you my one question that I ask all my guests, which is, what is your one health and wellness tip that you would like our listeners to leave with today? Do you want it in relation to the topic? It can be in relation to any topic that you would like to provide. Okay, my one health and wellness tip is to very closely monitor your smartphone use. In fact, take a week or two weeks to monitor how long, how many hours you're spending on your smartphone, and I bet you'll be surprised by how long you do. And that's step one. Step two, if that is at a level where you think is unhealthy or distracting to you, find ways in which to be unplugged. Unplug yourself before bed, but also take time to unplug yourself in social situations, in times where you're trying to make memories. And uh, sometimes we, you know, I was at a, I was at a concert the other day and everyone has their phones up the entire time recording stuff. And sometimes we don't take the time to be in the moment and that's because of our smartphones. So I would say be unplugged and be present would be my wellness advice. I love it. And also just to follow up on what David just said on on your phone, there is, um, well, at least I have an Android on mine. Um, it's probably on iPhone too, but there's a setting on there where you can look to see 
uh, how long you've been on each app. It tells you the amount of time you spent on each app and the amount of time you spent on your phone. Um, so if you are trying to monitor that or trying to decrease it, then you can look on there and check that out. Absolutely. Good call. All right. Thank you, David, for joining me today and talking about this important topic. I hope that you enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Awesome. And thank you guys so much for listening. I am always very grateful to all my listeners. Thank you so much. And please um, check out our Facebook page at Health Formation. We, we also have uh, Instagram and Twitter, which you can find all of that information on our Facebook page. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer on the podcast, you can shoot me a message on Facebook or send me an email. Um, my email address is also linked on the Facebook page. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Bye.